Hello and welcome to In A Different League, the official podcast of the original fantasy football game. We're your hosts, me, Jessica Humphreys. And me, Neil Manson. And here's what's coming up on this week's show. Game week 21 is finally over. We take a look back at the winter break fixtures whilst looking ahead to the next round of FA Cup fixtures. Simon Flowers and Andy Henton join us from Switzerland to tell us about their league, which has its own Strictly Come Dancing twist. And in part three, we'll take a little look at the January transfer window, as well as the usual business updates, news, explanations, and everything that puts us in a different league. So, as you will have heard from our introduction, we are Christless this week. It's unconfirmed whether that is anything to do with Crystal Palace's result, but he's not been spotted, Neil, has he? So, you have fortunately stepped in off the back of your your team got a big win so you were like fine I'll do this one you'll, you'll let Chris take take the heat off I know I thought well I mean um, first of all Chris um, I hope everything's going well today so um, and there we go but um, yeah so apologies to everyone you've got to put up with me I'm afraid but yeah Liverpool wow decent performance 4-0 very very happy I was I was in some ways I'm quite disappointed that Chris isn't here because uh I was going to quite have a lovely little conversation with him around actually how well Liverpool played. <laughs> quite a tight first half, but then second half, uh, you know, Liverpool really, really ran away with it. You know, thought everyone thought we'd miss Salah, but I think actually, you know, everyone else seems to be stepping up. Jota had an absolute blinder. But I think for me, some of the big differences are defensively. We We seem to be a little bit... I keep on saying we, this is terrible. I should sort of... I should sound a little less... Everyone knows at this point, Neil, you've done a terrible job at <laughs> pretending you don't support them. So I think you've got to, you've got to lean into I've it. I've got to go it. with it now, haven't I? I've just got to go As long it. as we don't see some strange manual assists popping up, I think everyone will understand. That's always at the back of my mind. You know, maybe I should try and be a little bit more neutral, but you're quite right. I've, I've given it all away anyway. So I may as well just <laughs> carry on now with my Liverpool, with my Liverpool love. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think oddly... Um, Liverpool have really begun to form a really decent partnership. I think, you know, Klopp always used to sort of move things around, certainly in the two centre-backs um, with Van Dijk and Matip. But I think Kanate, for probably the last sort of four or five weeks, has really stepped up and he's really beginning to find some decent form. Um, so there's a really solid partnership there. Joe Gomez has slotted in really nicely. And by the way, yes, he was in my team. So that mm. nudges me up, you know, a lovely little assist and a clean sheet, which is really nice this weekend. But I think there's a really decent partnership, you know, and um, I think I saw a stat watching a game that I think there's, you know, they got a really young squad as well in terms of, you know, bench. I think there were sort of, you know, really young players coming through the academy. So, um, yeah, I'm really, really pleased. And of course, you've got to look at Bournemouth. You know, informed side, Solanke absolutely firing. You know, I wonder whether his, you know, old association with Liverpool, you know, got him sort of um, stuttering and stammering a little bit. I don't know. Could be. Yeah, I think what's so impressive about Liverpool recently is that feeling of despite having players out unavailable, it feels like, obviously, you've talked a lot about 
you know, some of the older players stepping up, but also lots of those youngsters coming into the team, which I'm sure has kept you busy trying to add everyone on to, to fancy league. I saw something, it was like the, by the end of the game, I think they had five under 21 players potentially on the pitch and that was the most they'd had yeah since sort of like the 80s or something it, i should have written that stat down rather than just trotting <laughs> it out i might have just made it up for all we no know. it sounds sounds good sounds good to me it, it sounds plausible that's all that matters you're absolutely right i think McAllister as well as i think um i was at anfield earlier this season and um we had a bit of a tour around taking my son around and i uh, was chatting to chatting to a guy in the liverpool changing rooms you know as you do the grand tour and he was saying, we haven't quite seen the best of McAllister yet, you know, really sort of, I think, struggling to find his feet. But I think at the weekend, for me, he was, he was probably man of the match, had an absolute pillar of a game. So, yeah, I think, I think get in there. Be interesting now to see, you know, what happens with Salah and whether or not, you know, Salah is, uh, is, is as injured as everyone believes he is. Coming back to, to Liverpool as well to, to recover. It looks like Egypt qualified as well um, last night for the knockout stages of Akon. So it'll be interesting to see where this one goes. We've sort of gone off on a tangent and gone into to Liverpool chat. This is obviously your This is not a Liverpool but, um, podcast, you mean? No. This is not a Liverpool oh, podcast. Oh, right. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, sorry, you, you've not come on one of those. <laughs> but you also, the reason you're in such a good mood is because you wrote down in the script how many points you got. And I went, what? Before we'd even started. So it was a great week for you on... I know. I, I think I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right again. I mean, the, the funny thing is, you know, you know, I got 20 points, but we we do have a slightly different scoring system, and that we we um, we allocate um, four points for a clean sheet rather than three. So that probably artificially inflates it by you know two or three points. But but nevertheless, yeah, I've got I got three assists. So Enketia, Gabriel, after the um, the goal was reclassified uh, as an own goal, and Gomez. A lovely looping cross in. I've got two goals. I hung on to Wood and he came up trumps. Um, obviously, Gabrielle again. I can't remember. Maybe Arsenal fans will be able to uh, enlighten me. When was the last time, you know, Gabrielle, you know, got sort of, you know, two goals or a goal and assist, you know, and a clean sheet in a game? Probably quite some time ago. Um, and then obviously the two clean sheets from Gomez and Gabrielle. So it was a bit of a bit of a Gomez and Gabrielle fest, if I'm honest. But yeah, it did all right. Once again, defenders proving that they can pick up points. Absolutely. But is this down to the FA Cup and not necessarily the Premier League? Although, look at, you know, if we're recording now, you know, on Tuesday morning, look at last night's board draw. Nil-nil. Bit of a bit of a game to ignore, but we'll come on to that later, I'm sure. Yeah, so I didn't do quite as well, although I don't have all these extra bonus points that Neil obviously uses to make his score sound better. Um, I got five, which I think for half a game week, it's not great, but it's not bad. And I'm still second for the month so far in terms of number of points. So after being absolutely rubbish, I'll take that. Although I do note that my dad, who I said was going to have a terrible January because Son and Salah we're going away is doing really really well and has 26 for the month um so it's not looking good for me in terms of climbing back up the top of the table but um, i got a sleeve clean sheet and a gap purses how many points off the top are you now a lot well no not a lot obviously it's what i was further ahead i think and it was clawed back yeah, I'm 30 yeah. off the top 30 off the top i'm in fifth but i'm two off fourth and 20 off third so there's kind of a top three all together and then me and my sister and then poor Andy Hollyman, he's eighty points off me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that season's over. I think I, it was it all went wrong when he bought Harry Kane in the auction. I think, but there we go, there we go. Um, you you mentioned um Chris Woods, 
who obviously I saw I have there's a number of players I've scoffed at thinking they'll get more points this season and they laughed in my face this week. Chris Wood and Neil Mopé both getting goals in the, the Brentford Forest thriller. But I guess Ivan Tony was really the man who was taking the headlines. But it's interesting because having someone like Tony back in that Brentford team, even, you know, I'm sure lots of people will maybe potentially have held on to him or like will have been looking at him um, coming back into this side. But it kind of changes the whole aura around Brentford as a whole. And I think there's definitely the sense of like, Mope and Tony maybe playing in this this front two could really sort of reinvigorate Brentford's rather sad looking recent attack. I've always felt, you know, Brentford were were, were there or thereabouts. And to be honest, with you know, with their other strikers, you know, we're so heading out to Afcon. Um, it has probably, you know, they've been they've been left short there. So with Tony coming back, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think it would make a big, big difference. But there's a lot of you know controversy around, you know, his goal as well at the weekend with the referee spraying the lovely mark and then Tony nudging it forward outside of that. So there's lots of question was... marks as to whether or not Woods goal should have stood. I've got so much respect for that, to be totally honest, because <laughs> I think that's the kind of um, shithousery like, we we need to see. And I think, really, that's kind of what you expect with Ivan Tony. So. so nothing wrong with it, as far as you're concerned. Perfectly legit goal, playing the ref a little bit, and, uh, and it yeah. stands, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. These are the kind of things that if another team, another player does them, it doesn't affect me. I think it's really funny. If it happened to Chelsea, oh my God, no, my head would be on Mars. But it didn't, so so, so that's fine. Um, another interesting sort of new entrant to the league who we mentioned last week, also getting on the score sheet, Ben Brereton-Diaz, um, in that thrilling Sheffield United West Ham two two draw the latest the latest goal in Premier League history Ollie McBurney's penalty the Sheffield United thing and and looking at someone like Brereton Diaz is interesting really isn't it because it it does feel like it's kind of over for them I don't think I'm like putting myself out on a limb there by saying that I think Sheffield United will probably go down but the reality is is players still have and clubs still have incentives to to try and get results I guess maybe especially because of this. Uh, potential points deduction hanging over Forrest and Everton. And Brereton Diaz does feel like the kind of player who could just offer a bit more oomph to a to a Sheffield United attack, especially, you know, at this point in the year where maybe players who, who you can pick up, up are harder and harder to come by. You know, I think you're right. I think uh, I think Sheffield are, are, gonna, are really going to struggle. You know, they're 10 points. Are they 10 points off Forrest, I think? So even if you have Forrest have a sort of an eight point deduction, I mean I'm surmising I don't even know what their what their deduction, you know, will be, if indeed that there will be a deduction. But you know, ten points off seventeen seems a huge margin at this stage. But um I thought he had a really good game. He only played about seventy minutes as well. So I think Barrett Diaz I think will make a fairly big impact there. You know, whether or not it's it's enough to haul them up, I think is it is a huge question. You know, in the game, goal, goal in your first, you know, your first Premier League game, 60 odd minutes on the pitch. Decent start, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think what someone who's worth potentially looking at. Um, let's let's quickly talk about the, the Brighton Wolves nil-nil as well before maybe we finish off at Arsenal and then we'll look ahead to, to the FA Cup obviously this weekend. Brighton spent all those games scoring in every single one. You know, you wait for a one nil-nil draw and then 
two come along at once. That's back to back. We're ignoring their FA Cup game, obviously, because it's more satisfying if we make that run together rather than the fact they had a 4 2 thriller against Stoke. But. Brighton are in there, you know, they're more... I don't know what to think about Brighton. I feel like going off on a bit of a rant with Brighton at the moment and doing a Chris rant. I just don't know... Come on, you're you're filling in for Chris. We need it. We need a Chris rant. I don't know. I just expect a little bit more. Um, I don't know whether I'm asking too much. I don't know whether it's that, you know, they're struggling with players. Mitoma's sort of, you're not really sort of firing as he was last year. You know, Pedro absolutely went, you know, when he scores and plays really well, he has an absolute blinder. But missing perhaps some midfield sort of dynamism there, some sort of strength. Um, one of the big things last night about, actually, it's an interesting one, Milner became the second uh, appearances in the league beyond, is it Gareth Barry, I think, is uh, is top of the list. So I think there's some there's some interesting stuff there, but I don't know. I just don't, I don't find it. I, you know, I don't know whether it's well, Beck doesn't inspire me as a striker. He just methodically plods, you know, and I think they're just, they're not sparking as I would sort of, you know, expect them to. And I honestly thought Wolves were going to sneak this so that Wolves are actually playing really well. You know, they've got some really decent goal scorers, Nito back as well, Kuna scoring, you know, or, you know, seem to be scoring quite, quite freely. I think they're being managed really well by Gary O'Neill at the moment. And I just thought there was an opportunity there. So I suppose you've got to look at this maybe the other way. And, you know, well done on Brighton for keeping a clean sheet. But they're at home. I just expected a bit more. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. And I think for me, the thing that's been frustrating, I mean, I do still own two two Brighton players, but the thing that's frustrating is the level of rotation. And I mean, Matoma, when he's fit, he normally does play. But obviously, Evan Ferguson, this constant rotation between him and Welbeck, that just feels like... It's just very hard from a, from a fantasy league perspective, obviously. One player who I think could be interesting from um, a Wolves perspective if you have sort of midfield, extra midfielder point chucking around is, is Tommy Doyle, who obviously is on loan from Manchester City. Um, but I think they've got an option to make it permanent. He wasn't really starting at all early on in the season, was just sort of coming on in, in dribs and drabs, but has really like worked his way into the team and, and looks like a bit of a fixture there. So could be an interesting one um, if your league sort of makes where he plays worthwhile, I think, because obviously it's one of those ones where it really depends on on what your league point scoring does. Let's finish off then with just Arsenal for this week. I guess the question on everyone's lips, Neil, is are Arsenal back or was it Crystal Palace? <laughs> I don't know. I think I think you've got to look you've got to look at the changing rooms, haven't you, at Crystal Palace and you've got to think, is is Hodgson's time, you know, well and truly over? Heads go down, you know, missing Elise perhaps is the only excuse, really. Outside of that, I thought Arsenal played quite well. But against a, you know, a, a lacking in motivation Palace side um, with Hodgson sort of, you know, I would imagine he's probably going to go over the next month unless his, you know, his fixtures really turn around. But they're already sort of looking at possible replacements. So to answer your question, probably I think it's, it's as much as Arsenal playing okay. I don't think they even stepped up into sort of you know fifth or fourth gear. I think it was a it was a really good victory. It was a solid performance, but I think it's against a side like Palace who were who were really struggling. And I'm sorry, Chris, you're not going to like that, but I thought you yeah I thought Palace were were poor at best. Yeah, I did see um, Roy Hodgson at the, the Football Writers Awards uh, ceremony that I went to on Sunday. Um, 
tried to read stuff from his body language, but he just looked like a nice old guy, which is what he looks like most of the time. So don't have any additional insight to add there. I was just well, Do you think that's the him. problem, though? Do you think that's the problem? He's just a lovely old guy, you know. He's, he's you know, mm. he's like someone you want to give a cuddle to, you know, or just, you know. I think his time as a football manager is probably over. And I think it's just a case of uh, of just waiting for the opportune moment, getting someone lined up before uh, you have a new manager at Palace. And maybe maybe Chris, you know, when he comes in, you know, next week can can reply and say, Neil, you're talking absolute garbage. But that's- I thought you were going to say Chris was going to take the manager. Chris, when he comes in as manager of Crystal Palace. Well, I feel my rants are pretty hopeless in comparison to, to Chris, who sort of comes in and really, really can't live up fires off. So, um, yeah, I mean, I you know, let's see if there's a counter. Let's see if he, if Chris thinks Hodgson really is the the man to take Palace forward. I doubt it. I would be surprised. I would be surprised. <laughs> but who knows? It's always good to be contrary. Um, so, uh, obviously, FA Cup is the thing that's coming up this weekend. So, we're, we're turning our attention back to that. There's also a full round of midweek Premier League fixtures sort of the week after. Yep. So, after the little break, this is now looking very congested. There's also Carabao Cup. Tonight, we're recording on Tuesday, so you guys will know what's happened there. But obviously, so Liverpool, Fulham and Chelsea will have a game midweek. What's attracting your attention from these FA Cup fixtures from a fantasy league point of view, Neil? I think for me, the standout feels like Spurs, Manchester City. Yeah, I think I think possible score, big scoring opportunities there. Definite opportunities. You've got... Well, as Haaland still isn't back yet, though, is he? But you've got Silver on a bit of form at the moment as well. You've got Spurs coming into coming into form. They've made some decent signings as well. I think it's and you know gives them a bit more, a few more options. Son still being away though, you know, it was a tricky one. Don't really know whether we'll see a high-scoring game, but definitely one to watch. I think the thing, uh, the thing that I'm kind of well, I'm not looking at because I can't do this. But from uh, the perspective of someone who would potentially be able to bring players in. Newport County versus Manchester United is a really, really intriguing one because it feels like it could go one of two ways. Either, potentially, this is an opportunity for United to build up some confidence. We see quite a strong team get played. Potentially, some players fill their boots, points-wise. Or, it becomes this sort of very nervy fixture. Maybe there's a lot more rotation. What kind of direction do you think... Ten Hag's going to go in because lots of the other fixtures, FA Cup, like this is the only real sort of big team versus small team. Everything else is sort of all Premier League or Premier League versus Championship. As an avid watcher of, uh, well, I say avid's probably stretch, but but certainly um, Welsh football teams, you know, Newport County have always been a bit of a, they've always had this sort of giant killing sort of, um, mm, you know. They've had some good FA Cup results in the past. They have, they really have. You know, Man United going to Newport is a huge, huge thing. Um, I don't think many of the United players have been to a ground like that either for, for quite some time. You know, real lively atmosphere. You know, you've got to really look at look at United and think he's got to play players like McTominay that are really up for a bit of a fight. I think, you know, that really want to get in amongst it and really, you know, earn their spurs on the pitch. Uh, as otherwise, you know, there's a strong, strong chance for me of an upset. Newport could, could oddly, easily turn over United. So I think he's got to pick fighting players. He's got to look for... I'd even play Maguire... I play some real sort of, you know, not so much old school sort of dirty tactics, but 
but players that really want to get in there and, and mix it up a little bit. Yeah, I, I do think it would be, it, I, I would probably be circling that fixture if I had the opportunity to bring players in specifically for the FA Cup. I think it's worth taking a punt on, especially when, you know, it's hard to, I think, look at the other fixtures and sort of say for certain how some of them are going to go. I guess one interesting thing will be, are there teams who maybe want to put their focus elsewhere who are going to throw, in some senses, the FA Cup? Like, you look at a team like Aston Villa, who've had a bit of a rough time of it in the league recently, a couple of mixed results. They obviously are currently in fourth. They're in such a good position in the table. Opportunity of Champions League football. Do you think if you're Emery, well, maybe I won't risk people, players against Chelsea because I'd prefer to try and hold on to the Champions League spot. Whereas obviously if you're Chelsea, there's nothing to play for in the league. You know, everything's going to be about the the domestic cups at this point. Yeah, we, we really need Chris here for his Emery sort of, you know, <laughs> historical context, really. Flicking back very quickly to United, I think with um, what else have they got to play for? You know, I'm sure that'll be all the United fans coming at me. But genuinely, what what else? I think you know, if you if you flip you know flip things around, maybe you know they will put in an inspired performance because there's not much else to play for. But Villa opportunity, I think it's probably a season too early for them, you know, to to do really really well. You know, first second, you know, in in the Premier League. So I think definitely an FA Cup win, you know, is is well within their grasp. Fantastic form players, Watkins on fire at the moment, but it's Chelsea. So come on, Jesse. How are Chelsea going to sort of nullify the uh, the attack of uh, of Watkins up front? What what's he going to do defensively? They've done a few, kept a few clean sheets recently as well, Chelsea. So maybe there's a bit more stability at the back now. They have, and obviously the return of players like Ben Chilwell's been a big boost. Although Marlo Gusto's now picked up an injury, and this is sort of Chelsea's problem at the moment. It feels like. Every time a player comes back, another player drops out. So then everything is is constantly shifting again and again. Chilwell might not even play at left back because he's been used at left wing a lot by Pochettino, both in pre-season and on return. Pochettino is a big believer in having lots of good headers of the ball, which is why he likes sort of having, you know, the Colwell, Silva and Desarcy all in that back line. It's going to be interesting. Obviously, we are speaking before the, the Carabao Cup tie, and I think that will be a big bellwether on on this game I think if Chelsea make it to the final it will be feel good atmosphere at the bridge for this one if not it could feel quite mutinous so as with a lot of you know Chelsea games this season it feels like they're constantly ready to lurch from you know it's almost like a stay of execution like one little fall like sends everything tumbling tumbling down again so it will be interesting interesting to see but you guys will know whether Chelsea will bottle it against Villa based on the fact that they bottled it against Middlesbrough or they'll have a fantastic (laughs) victory (laughs) absolutely Uh, any other of the ties we've not really talked about that that stand out to you there's a couple of interesting all Premier League ones so United Brighton Everton Luton any of Everton Luton is one for me that that stands out in a funny kind of way you know Everton still missing decor you know really I think he really seemed to pull everything together you know and Luton playing some really lovely football you know Doughty on fire as a sort of a you know assist midfielder uh, I'm really looking forward to that tie. Uh, I think that'll be um, uh, a game to watch. Uh, you know, the possibility of lots of points. I don't necessarily. I know Everton have got you know a, a you know a fairly decent sort of clean sheet. 
you know, over this season. So I think there's it's possibly going to be a tight game. But I have a funny feeling it's going to be a it's going to be a a mouthwatering tie. You know, a really high scoring. You know, two two or something like that would be fantastic. So I would be looking at that game from a from a fancy league point of view and 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 looking at that some possible high point scorers there. Yeah, I, I do note that Everton haven't scored more than one goal in a game since the 16th of December, but definitely Luton feel like a team where that's the opportunity there. But we know that Luton also a team who, when they get their noses in front, they can really sort of push on. Although I always feel like they, they're not quite as good at that away from home as they are at Kenilworth Road. And obviously this is playing at Goodison Park. So I don't know what impact that will have. I think as well, it's it's a bit of a game for Everton. I think they, they love games where it gets, you know, it's a bit scrappy. It's a, it can be a bit more of a dog fight. And I think they can really get amongst them. So, yeah, maybe maybe they maybe they get to uh, get to scoring more than a goal. Who knows? All right, that wraps us up for the end of part one. Then we will be back in part two, where we're talking to Simon Flowers and Annie Henson. Hello and welcome back to part two, where we are joined by Simon Flowers and Andy Henson to talk about. Their league, SDS FFL, the furthest flung league we've had on the show so far. Tell us, guys, whereabouts are you based? We're based in Switzerland um, on the banks of Lake Geneva, and uh, we're close to um, Montreux. So if you know the, the Deep Purple song, Smoke on the Water, we all came out to Montreux. We're close to that. We're in, uh, close to a town called Vevey on the north bank of, of Lake Geneva. And, and how did you guys come together? What, who, who is your league? made up of and, and what's kind of the, the connection in, out in Switzerland? Well, it, it came together. We started it about 30 years ago. And in fact, it's, it came through the, the football team. We all attempt to play football, some of us more successfully than others. And we started a football team with a, mostly expatriates, but not only. Um, and we started that around about 30 years ago. And then a year later, we decided to start a, a fantasy league. So I think 1994 was our first time that we we started on a fantasy league very different in those days your your website didn't exist i'm not even sure the internet existed actually <laughs> but um there was something around you know we we started that uh, with a group of people and and uh, really the, the the managers that we have we have 16 managers so we have a full league most of them are either current footballers or ex-footballers mostly expatriates we have uh, Simon is Australian, as an example. We have uh, an Indian Canadian who actually joins us by Zoom from Canada for the auction, which is also interesting for him. Um, someone who was based in the US and, and uh, another one who was a New Zealander. From this year, we have Irish as well. He won't forgive me for that. What's it like playing with like uh, uh, such a sort of diverse group of people who obviously sort of will have different relationships and backgrounds to? the Premier League and I guess sort of football as a whole, do you feel like, how do you feel like that influences your league? Well, we have some people who know it inside out, you know, who really study all the form. I, I think most of us take a passing interest at, at a certain level. We know the people, we watch the matches, we're, we're passionate about football. There's a different way when you come to the auction. And if you saw some of the photographs, you can see some people have all the technical computers with them and, and uh, all sorts of things. And, and other people have a piece of paper um, and some people don't have anything. And I think as part of that, we simplify things a bit. So uh, listening to some of the other weeks you have had where people do lots of 
trades and everything. Ours, we do the three transfer, sealed bint transfer windows a year. And similarly, we also actually don't start until four weeks into the season when it's the first international break. Again, to give uh, the chance for some of the people who have the lesser interest to have a few weeks of learning who the new players are. And frankly, it's easier to get everyone together that first week of September, skip the uh, school holidays. And we've had a couple of fellows travel over from England. They arranged their their travel planning for it because, of course, it is the highlight of the year. Just looking at those photos that you sent around, is it okay if we share those around? Because it looks a lovely, a lovely evening. Some nice, you know, nice table settings, you know, some nice dinner on the table. Well, uh, I'm the executive chef, so I love cooking. We have it in different places, different volunteers to host. Quite a challenge because we have a couple of extra supporters, someone uh, helping Andy, etc. So I think I had 17 or 18 guys. We start at seven, we finish at midnight. We have a break at nine for the the dinner. So it was a Otolenghi's Jerusalem and lamb shawarma with 24 mm. hours of marinating and five hours of slow cooking. And half time, four and a half kilos of lamb because you've got 18 hungry guys there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know if any fancy league can top, you know, sort of Otolenghi recipes coming out during their, <laughs> their auction. But um, <laughs> if you're doing that level of fine dining, get, get in touch. <laughs> I have to ask about your titles as well, because you are Commissioner Andy and Adjunct Commissioner yes. Simon. It came from when we started the league 30 years ago. And I think probably the person who was the first commissioner, as we call it, probably wanted to make himself a bit more important. So we, we uh, and it is really the commissioner. And as Simon said, he is the adjutant commissioner. I have no idea, Simon, where you got that from. When I did some genealogy, that was from my ancestor was the adjutant barrack master of the Malta barracks in the Napoleonic Wars. It's an old term for assistant, and it was the, the highest rank you could get to without being commissioned. We might need to introduce this, I think. That's of a game. <laughs> yeah, and we, we keep her in, a, like I'm sure the other leagues as well. I mean, the commissioner must be obeyed, you know, so we try to make sure. It doesn't always happen, to be honest, but uh, we, we try to at least make Simon and I feel good about the position that we have. Because <laughs> yes. as you can imagine, a lot of it is just um, going through people's, you know, numbers, having to listen to the auction. So I run the auction. I have also a team I partner up with someone who picks on my behalf, but it is a long night. I mean, I think two tips I would share. I was reflecting, listening to the other weeks and their tips. Two things we do, because when you've got 16, it's a, it's a lot to get through on a night auction. So one good thing Andy does is the auction night, we just do the 11. You have to come up with your 11 in a standard formation. And then we do your subs afterwards. So after the auction, the day after, you nominate up to 10 subs with any leftover money. And we do a draw. So you get your top four picks. So I think that saves a lot of time not trying to sort out all the rubbish players at the end, just having the 11. And as protocol also brought in the just a minute rule, which is the radio program where you have to speak without hesitation, repetition, or deviation. So when it's your turn to nominate the player, if you hesitate, or if you say a name that's already been said, or it's you've already hit that limit for your player or your position, Andy just says, nope, next, 
and we're on to the next person because we used to suffer with some who would spend forever trying to come up with who their player is. Like Malin's there with his five screens and can never quite work out who the, the next name is. So we always tease him about it, but there must be some method in his madness because he's topping our league. And I guess what we need to tell everyone as well is that you're a novice league. So one of the big differences with, with novice leagues is that you do not use super subs. So can you tell everyone a little bit how you, how you manage your teams without using super subs? Well, we do have the four substitutes that we do pick, and that's probably enough for people. Yeah. You know, some people, you can see it, are changing their team every day. Other people don't touch it until the end of the season. So I think it's probably about right for us. It works very well. And tell me a little bit about sort of, you know, is there any sort of bias around you? are talking about sort of, you know, ex-footballers. You've still sort of come to the hat with sort of different different tactics for your 11 players based on the teams that you support or what's the sort of the banter like at the actual auction you know is it based on club favorites or do you go in looking at sort of data from previous years and thinking ah actually I'll see if I can you know nick in a sneaky little bid for an Aki or a Livramento well as I say for me I'm not actually picking my team so I have a, a little we meet probably an hour beforehand and decide on our strategy and that's enough and then we go in and you can see where we are in the league. We're, we're second from bottom. So you're getting what you, you put in, I guess. About half of us are still playing. Our SDS team, it's a social league. It's just whoever turns up, bring a red shirt and a yellow shirt. And we typically are having an age span of about 50 years on the pitch, from the youngest to, to the oldest, which is pretty impressive. I think a few guys who are fans get some inside knowledge into getting some say mark picking kudos from west ham which none of us had heard of but knew would be good but i think also with 16 teams you end up with so much slim pickings we're about to go into our second transfer window and i had a look at who's the top ranking free agents and it's people like Tavernier and Billing in Bournemouth, Doughty and Luton and Abduni in Burnley. So, no, I think it's more auction strategy than inside knowledge. So, so you have, you have Simon in your league, Simon in your in your team, rather. You have Harland. Was that sort of a big expense yeah. this year? Yeah, that was a, a big expense, and is also linked to me being the the chef because I try and do the big purchase early on. And then I can go and get all the stuff ready for the meal and come back afterwards and try and get the rest of my team and players because I've used up all my budget in the first half. So my uh, my cooking duties also uh, lend into the auction strategy. Excellent. Well, that's a unique strategy to have there. I know you guys have also worked hard <laughs> on making sure that the league stays interesting for those who might find themselves more towards the bottom of the table. I think this is something obviously a lot of leagues think about. I'm very intrigued by what you guys have sort of landed on in terms of keeping things fresh. So we have a, a fantasy cup that we run. So we're starting it um, more or less now. So we do similar to the FA Cup around in January, around in, in February, March, etc. And, and we go, that's just a head to head. We do the draw in the pub. So we, you know, each person, it's totally random who they play. And then it's just whatever they do. We've got to have those 10 games. So you, you have to have a full a week to be able to do it and, and we play a head-to-head so that's one of the things that we do and we start that now yes yeah, so during COVID I, I invented the silly one and in, indeed just a comment I don't think it's been in the other pods is to say how important fantasy football was during that COVID lockdown period to have something of strong interest 
we ran a couple of extra online nights for subs and, and trivia, and I think it was very important. And I had some extra time on my hand and invented this other silly competition based on strictly come dancing rules. Again, it's just a bit of nonsense for the mid to, to low table interest. For those not familiar with Strictly, it's where they pair a professional dancer and a celebrity dancer. And the Saturday night, whoever's bottom of the leaderboard face a dance off on the Sunday, one eliminated, one lives on. So in the same spirit, it's a pairs competition. And we match the first seed with whoever's coming 16th, like the week before I started, it will start in March. The second with the 15th, etc down to the 8th and ninth, And they pick a formation. At the end of each week, I download the results to a spreadsheet that calculates the best combined 11 between those two pair of players. So our first round will have eight pairs. The bottom two will go into the dance-off. The next week, it's just those in the head-to-head. Whoever's got the best combined 11 lives on. For the round of seven, the other are eliminated until you get to your penultimate uh, where you're three. And then the final round, it's the two pairs face off and we often get together for a drink and cheer. I mean, really, it's a bit of nonsense for our weekly newsletter and being able to make, uh, you know, lame jokes about middle-aged men and their sensual rumba. But it's uh, a nice thing to partner up with someone. You learn about their team and like, Yes, you're at the, the bottom of the league, but you're thinking, oh, great, Erling Haaland scored. That's one for our pair. And so it's good for a bit of banter. And yeah, it, it helps with interest for those in the middle to low because you're paired with someone. I love that. That's so inventive. That's so, so much fun. What a great way to, to keep people I can uh, send you the spreadsheet in case anyone Oh, I'd love to have a look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, I love some spreadsheet action. You hit there on a, a couple of really interesting things. I think we've talked about how much of a of a community, you know, fantasy league is, and, and particularly over COVID, you know, when people couldn't get together face to face, there was still the option to do Zoom auctions and continue with it. And it really has got this this community feel to it. And that sort of, you know, is really sort of echoed in the, in the conversation that we've had this evening or this, uh, this this morning, rather. You know, do you feel that that really, you know, continues to bring you all together and you can see this this continuing for sort of many years to come? Yeah, I believe so. You know, we've gone for 30 years already and there's no sign of it stopping, particularly if, if Simon's cooking, um, <laughs> then there will always be people at the auction. It's almost just a, a device for banter. But that's the, and, and as Simon said, it's, it's a community thing. The person who wins at, at the end, that's all soon forgotten. And we do recognize it at the next auction. But, you know, really, the whole thing is about having banter through the dark winter months. I mean, uh, as you experience over there, it goes through that time and it's, uh, you know, end up in May um, at the end of the season. So it is good for that that timing. Are there any sort of funny little sort of auction stories you could share with us? A couple of things. So our auction comes just after the transfer windows closed. So therefore, there are always someone who picks someone who's gone to Saudi or Bayern and you get to tease them even more. You've got to kind of keep quiet until Andy says, gone on the hammer and then say yes, just like he's gone to Bayern Munich. So it's an opportunity to uh, give them some stick. There's a bit less. Uh, We're in the transfer window uh, two years ago where Paul uh, swapped Sterling for uh, Scott Carson, the uh, (laughs) the third Man City goalkeeper. So 
we never let him uh, uh, forget that one. <laughs> well, I think also your your Harland bid. I mean, this is the first bid of the night. Harland, a hundred million out it's of two hundred. Not 200. a bad way to start the night. You know, Simon get, wants to get on with the cooking. Yeah, yeah so I deliberately point. bid half the money in the first bid. So we certainly know who to come to for fantasy league recipes and sort of cooking inspiration. <laughs> then in future uh, future episodes. We might even do, maybe we do a Fantasy League sort of cook-off or your Fantasy League recipe book. We know Fantasy we... League auction recipe yeah. book. I think that's, oh, that's yes. required. My mum makes the same dinner for Fantasy League auction every year. That's a very standard meal, but everyone looks forward to it as a result. So that could go in as well. Or the fiery, Indi- the fiery Indian curries also go down well because, <laughs> you know, the guys are used to being, a, it has to be a bit, quieter on a family situation so when you'll get the chance to get together with a, a good fiery curry and dal, that also goes down very well too yeah i can co-sign on that one thank you simon and andy so much for joining us it's been amazing to hear about um your league and congratulations on having the crown of furthest flung league yet to feature on the pod if anyone out there wants to to try and beat them uh, you know where to find us podcast at fantasy.com uh, get in touch if you want to come on the show but thank you simon and andy again thank you thank you very much thank you Welcome back to part three. No need to introduce Neil, obviously, because he's been here all the time with us. Um, but it's been a bit of a quiet week at Fantasy League Towers, hasn't it? Which must be nice for you. Yeah, it, it, it has really been. There have been no sort of manual assist to sort of, you know, talk through in any detail. No need to convene the manual assist panel. In terms of last night, nil-nil draw, no manual assists to administer there either. Fairly straightforward. So I think probably the easiest thing to do here is just quickly move into the the top transfers in and top transfers out, I think, is is again, this always seems to be fairly self-explanatory, but you've got you've got Joe Linton, you know, top of the pile really with a you know, a season sort of end in injury. So uh Joe Linton, you've got Ben Davis, and then you've got Paqueta. Um, but even transfer out numbers are fairly low in volume, I think largely to do with the FA Cup. So there's not masses there. I think transfers in, probably uh, a certain Spurs striker is way out. In fact, in fairness, Spurs sign-ins, you've got, um, you've got Werner and Dragusan in there as the sort of the top two. And then who do you think is in at number three? Certain striker we've talked a lot about. Ben Brereton Diaz. He is. He's in at number three already. Yep, absolutely. Quite a way behind, you know, those Spurs sign-ins. Um, and then you've got, well, you've got Oscar Bob. So, which I think is quite an interesting one to discuss. I don't, I, I, I guess there are lots of teams that will already have at least two players from Man City. So I'm wondering whether lots of sort of the, the teams in the lower part of leagues that haven't necessarily got two City players are going to be looking at Oscar Bob as an opportunity. The question is, is he going to start as much as, you know, we think he might? So you've got Oscar Bob and then you've got Mope as well still coming in and you've still got transfers coming in for Wood as well who sort of uh, brings up sort of the bottom of that top 10 pile. Interesting. Yeah, re- really interesting. I think I think the Oscar Bob ones for me is the, is the one that generates the mo- most interest. Obviously, you know, came in, made a made a massive difference in City's last game. Um, phenomenal talent. 
I love the way that sort of he stepped over the ball to set up and score that final goal. I thought it was fantastic. Will he play a lot? You know, I, I suspect if anything, he'll probably come on, you know, maybe for the last 20 minutes. So do you get your value? I suppose he's worth a risk, isn't he, at this point in the season, probably? Mm, I think I think that's very revealing on sort of, especially with a team like City. One, you know, Pep Roulette, how unpredictable who he's playing and who's sort of player of the week or whatever for him. Uh, and two, you know, just sort of desperately wanting to find value. You know, this is that's a player who's going to get points partly because he's playing for City. And, you know, his finish was, was fantastic in that that Newcastle game. But it helps when you've got a player who's being serviced by someone like Kevin De Bruyne. So that's m- much more worth taking a risk on that kind of 20 minute substitute than it is someone from from Wolves or something. Exactly. I think I think outside of outside of Oscar Bob, the only one that sort of fills me with sort of any interest level really is Dowerty from Luton. They're sort of a sister machine, if you like. I think I was looking at some stats for Doughty. The volume of opportunities he provides uh, Luton up front is is sort of second or third, you know, in the league. So it's it's a phenomenal sort of asset that they've got he's just outside the top 10 at the moment but I suspect he will begin to creep up over the next couple of weeks so we'll want to keep an eye on for sure I guess then you know outside of transfers we're coming to sort of the the closure of quite if I'm quite frank quite a dull transfer window I know January is always difficult to buy players or you know that's certainly the sort of the story that that everyone shares but it has seemed to be particularly quiet whether it's fair play rules or whether it's just a you know really difficult time to sign players, I don't know. Outside of sort of West Ham looking at you know Calvin Phillips, you know you've got the possibility of a couple of you know a couple of strikers. Enketia at Arsenal, is he going to stay or is he going to move on somewhere? Yeah, and then obviously Broder at Chelsea as well, potentially an option. I think it just feels like, as you say, it, it feels like a tough market at the moment. Lots of teams are obviously sort of hamstrung by things like FFP. And I think what's obviously really stood out about some of these cases, obviously you've got the bigger, longer-term cases that are being looked at, things like City or Chelsea. But it is sort of teams towards the bottom who are maybe the teams you'd expect potentially in January to be more ready to, you know, try and sign a player who is going to help them out. And that it feels like lots of teams are quite holding off on that and then you've got kind of the reverse factor of that of some teams really feel like they need to sell players you know and Chelsea it certainly seems like they're not interested in buying unless they can sell but they only want to sell for the right price I think we've seen that with both with Gallagher and and Breuer that they're not if Chelsea can't get sort of the 40 50 million they want for these players they don't think it's worth it and then you've got sort of the situation Newcastle seem to be in whereby there's quite a lot of interest in their players and there is a feeling that some of them need to go because otherwise they, they can't really bring anyone in. Yeah, I mean, I'd certainly take Colwell off you at a heartbeat, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> that's probably a different co- different topic of conversation. But yeah, you're right. I think it'd be in- very interesting to see what happens at Newcastle. There are lots of talk about Trippier on his way to Bayern Munich, potentially. You know, the assist machine, that sort of slowed down, you know, over recent weeks. Also, of course... I, I thought West Ham might be might be sort of looking at a striker because certainly from a an attacking perspective uh, they always seem to seem seem to struggle. Um, but with Kudos being you know not kicked out, but with Kudos you know <laughs> that's the wrong way to say it. He it? tried his best to be fair. I think of all the Ghanaians to stay in, but yes, uh, the the Ghana are already out of Afcon. Uh, so I think that what will probably say West Ham you know searching for an additional striker. 
Ings just doesn't seem to be doing doing much there. Although obviously, you know, he assisted you know the penalty last week. And then of course you've got you've got a team like United. You know, where do you go with where do you go with Man United? Do they need sort of an experienced striker to help out Hoyland to learn off? You know, I don't know Eric Cantona kind of esque. You know, going back to those days where you've got a young striker and learn off it. I don't know whether Rashford's helping out a great deal at the moment. So. I don't know whether it's going to be a really crazy last week. You know, we've got sort of seven, eight days before that transfer window slams shut um, or whether it's going to continue like the previous three weeks, which generally has been really, really quiet. What's it like at Fantasy League Towers around the end of the transfer window? Are you sort of up, you know, with the tickers coming in as the players go in and out, quickly ripping them up off the database or furiously typing them in? Well, we've got, you know, we've got 17 screens. We've got, you know, <laughs> yeah. we've got phone calls in to Fabrizio Romano. We've got flight radar up <laughs> yeah, so it's you can all... see when the planes are landing. Phones are going off, you know, we've got mobiles going all the time, you know, oh, it's it's absolute carnage on you know no the, the the reality of the fact here is it's it's we do do an all nighter generally on the last day because we try and we try and as I know what will happen the day after the transfer window shuts everyone will say right you know when are you going to get these players on so what we try and do and as long as that up to feed is up to date we'll get players added as soon as we possibly can the trick here is that if you think about uh, I think that the deadline ends on Thursday, I think, um, at about 11 o'clock. So you'll probably get some of that extended into the Friday as well. You always get those last, what are they called, where you, you ask for an extension because the paperwork has got in. Always, I always right. struggle with that one, you know. You get something in with five minutes to go. Surely, as a professional football club, you'd be able to sort out whether or not you want to bring somebody in, you know, outside of the last hour. But I guess a lot depends on on movement. But from our perspective, it is a busy day, but that will largely depend on what happens with transfers again. Interesting one to keep an eye on. Obviously, it's always nervy when, you know, you've got players who might be moving in or out. But it's also an opportunity to um, hopefully snaffle up some players that other people in your league don't have. I think that's a really, really good point. I think if the last week is busy and, you know, we see a lot of movement, it does give people the opportunity to sort of take a bit of a gamble on some players that have been bought in uh, and moved around and possibly sort of edge your way up the league. That's certainly what I've been doing this year in terms of my in terms of my picks, trying to make advantage of that free agents list and gamble on informed players. So it does give a little bit of a, a nudge forward to those teams that are perhaps lower down in the division that want to take a little bit more of a risk. Mm, definitely. I definitely I think if you've got the opportunity to rely on sort of new player bounce, if you've got those windows where people can come in and out, we'll have a, um, a transfer window soon, I think. So it'll be interesting to see what who gets picked up, obviously, because we have the two-month ones. You have to sort of look a bit longer because you can't drop anyone who's suddenly doing rubbishly. Um, so, yeah, an interesting one to think about. But that wraps us up nicely for this week. Thank you, Neil, for stepping into... The breach. You did a very able Chris impression, rants and all. <laughs> well, I think it's fair to say we've missed Chris, so come back soon, please, Chris. Yeah, definitely. Much missed Chris. Um, hopefully, we'll have him back with us next week. Um, but thank you to Andy and Simon for joining us as always. Thank you to producer Simon as well. 
You can get in touch with us if you want to appear as a league or if you've got any questions for Neil or me and Chris. God knows why you'd want to ask us, but, you know, mainly for Neil. Uh, you can email us on podcast at fantasyleague.co.uk. You can also get in touch with us on our social media at Fantasy League. We will see you all next week.